Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm What a Mike, What a Mike, What a Mike, What a Mighty Good Mike. And I'm Chad Austin's jacket. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a good jacket, isn't it? Welcome to episode 123, Heat Wave 1994. Battle for the future. Killed it. Didn't even have to practice. No. <laughs> totally forgot there was one. Yes. <laughs> I don't know where I pulled it from even. <laughs> so this was the first heat wave produced by ECW. It would take place at the ECW Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on July 16th, 1994 with an attendance of 850 people. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Down from a thousand? Must have been too hot. No, we were here three weeks ago. probably a heat wave. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, ah, we were just there. Well, somebody's not on the show, but I don't want to spoil them. (laughs) These shows, we've kind of figured out that ECW is basically running like an indie wrestling promotion at this point, where the major shows each month are kind of the continuation of storylines. So it's kind of like their weekly show, but it's at a monthly pace. So a lot of the stuff that we saw last week... At Hostel City Showdown. Probably played on ECW Hardcore TV. <laughs> Over the next few weeks, exactly. Yeah. And then just the continuation of basically all those storylines we'll see right here on this show. But also a continuation. We're still in Philly. Still in Philly. So what did Shane bring for us this time? Yeah, I'm curious how this connection to Philadelphia. Yes. All right. So we're back in Philly. We've uh, been to Philly a we lot. Never left. True. <laughs> Very true. Just long enough to run to the store. Yeah, we've uh, been in Philly many, many times, and it's getting a little more difficult, so I decided to uh, expand my search outside of Philly and see what kind of foods started in Pennsylvania. And lo and behold, the good old-fashioned banana split is a Pennsylvania creation. It is now on its approximately 117th anniversary. That's it? Yeah. It started in... I mean, this country's not very old. Latrobe, I believe is how it's pronounced. Uh, all the way on the the west side of the state, so... West side? That's right. West side represent. Also, refrigeration's not that old. True. <laughs> we think we've been around for everything, but everything just hasn't really been around all that long. Uh, but yeah, banana split. I honestly, I'm trying to think back, and I don't know if I've ever actually had a full-on banana split because I was the weird kid growing up that I didn't want all, you know, too much of stuff in my food. I didn't want my food to touch, and banana split is basically just food piled on top of food, piled on top of food with some fruit. You got a banana split in half. You got some chocolate, some vanilla, some strawberry ice cream. Depending on where you go and who makes it, it can be topped with some chopped strawberries, some uh, hot fudge, some marshmallow cream, some chopped pineapple, nuts, whipped cream, cherries. I mean, you, you go to one of those little ice cream bars and basically you just load it. up. You can get it on it. Pretty much. Yeah, I know. I haven't had a banana split in a long time. It is indulgent. 
Tis. I could have easily, as Michael said before, uh, we started rolling, got one of these, and had all of us share, but like, what's the fun in raise that? Raise your hand for chocolate. <laughs> raise your hand for strawberry. Raise your hand for vanilla. Yeah. It's basically Neapolitan was made just so you could... Save on your banana save, splits. Yeah, save on your banana splits and not have to have three containers of ice cream to make one. That's pretty fucking good. We went to Brahms here in Oklahoma. You know what's uh, funny? My sister's husband... Oh. Whenever he goes to Brahms and gets a milkshake, he has gets a Neapolitan milkshake. And I'm like, that sounds wild. And he's like, he swears up and down that you can taste all three flavors. And I'm you like, can. I'm sure you can, but I've never even thought about a Neapolitan mm. shake. I thought that was crazy. You guys are like, whatever, <laughs> man. <laughs> we make them at work. Yep. Mm. All right. Yep. It's a thing. I didn't know it was a thing. Yep. Some people want it all mixed together. Some people want the visual aspect of having a layer of strawberry, a layer of chocolate, a layer of vanilla. But oh, those people are jerks. Yes, they are. They are, but it's partially my fault because I'm one of those people that I'm like, absolutely, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, you're too nice. Do you want it mixed together or do you want it side by side and layered? Can we get it vertical? The first day he asked yeah. me to do a vertical one, I was just like... <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yep. I was. I mean, I, was, I need I, one extra set of hands to pour this chocolate while I get the other two. I said it, I was saying it as a joke, but mm-hmm. yes. No, he was serious. Chains of people pleaser. Exactly. Extreme hospitality is how we do it here in Oklahoma City. Well, while we're cooling down with our ice cream during this heat wave, let's talk something that happened right around the same time. A week earlier, a little company named Amazon would be founded by Jeff Bezos in his Seattle garage as an online bookstore. And obviously we all know that it's now one of the most valuable retailers in the United States. Oh, if not the world. Uh, yeah. the, um, I was thinking, I was like, well, you can get everything off Amazon, but can you get ice cream to your house? And I was like, oh, I think they have a deal with Whole Foods, so like, you probably can. Probably. <laughs> On the local delivery, yes. Which they also, I think, deliver in uh, dry ice as well. Oh, I bet. Got to. But yeah, it's like, well, I wish I started a bookstore in 1993 <laughs> in my garage. So are you guys Amazon ordering freaks? or Yes. Yes. I, I wouldn't say I'm a freak. I use it. There's probably at least three boxes that show up at my house every week on, <laughs> yeah. on the low end. Uh, I do use it every once in a while, but uh, it's even though it is you know, the most valuable retailer or one of the most valuable whatever, in my mind... It's still an online bookstore, even though I watch Amazon Prime and all this other stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. So when I go to shop, I don't instantly think I need to jump online. Like, fuck it, I'll just run to the store. And then I'll go to the store and I'll get pissed off, and then I'll tell myself I should have ordered online. <laughs> I mean, I don't like order toilet paper off Amazon or anything like that. I don't order everything. It's usually more specialty items. Cause... It's like, oh, my telephone charger is breaking. And then instead of going to Best Buy across the street, I just order it online, and it'll be here in a day. It'll be here tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the convenience. That's why they got all that money. Yep. That is why. They Phone got. charger there, um, television here, remote control for your nephew there. It all shows up. Ream of paper to print your notes on. Oh, there you go. Wrestling t-shirt. You got it. It's true. It's very true. New bong. I really I bet don't. They do. I, I'm, I really don't know. I never look. <laughs> Not a bong guy, to be honest. He used to be. I kind of miss him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had a Chenandler bong, and then I just had one named Scotty. Every Walmart I go to doesn't have my drink that I like. Oh. Order a case of them online. Show up in two days. Well, let's see if Heatwave 
can be as valuable as Amazon. The logo <laughs> comes on the screen before a video package of various wrestlers doing some of their trademark moves. As we go right to our first match, Rockin' Rebel and Hack Myers versus the Bad Breed of <laughs> Axel and Ian Rotten. Who, of course, come out to salt and pepper. It's kind of weird to be Bad Breed and you come out to salt and pepper. They come out to salt and pepper? What song did they come out to? What a Man. That's where I got my namesake. Oh, okay. I just thought that was Jason. Um, oh, no. I guess that was Rockin' Rebel and Hack Myers, maybe? Yeah. That makes sense. Okay, yeah, so they came out to Jason's theme yeah. music. Yeah, they came out to Justin's theme music. It's like, that's not right. It's not bad. Okay. I that makes more to... sense now. Yeah, of course but it does. still. Rockin' Rebel and Hack Myers start the night off, huh? Woo! And Axel you... Rotten start the night <laughs> off. As usual, Joey Styles is our commentator for the evening. We got Axel and Hack getting to each other's faces to start, with each slapping the other before the two lock up, with no one gaining an advantage. Isn't it nice that Rock and Rebel looks like a wrestler? Kind of. He looks like a wrestler. I don't know, I still look at him and I think Rock and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I guess he looks like a wrestler. <laughs> She's a wrestler. <laughs> Axel reverses a hip toss and follows up with an arm drag to start working the arm. Bad Breed hits a combo drop toe hold, running splash to keep up the attack as Ian takes over, hitting a drop kick in the corner for a two count. Ian tosses Hack to the corner, bringing Rock and Robin into the ring, where he poses. <laughs> I said Robin. Didn't I? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's funny. You guys got me. <laughs> bringing Rock and Rebel into the ring, where he poses for the crowd and just shoving Ian to the mat. But Rotten comes back with a body slam and starts taunting Rebel himself. They like Rebel. The fans like Rebel. Rock and Rebel ducks a pair of clotheslines, only to be taken down with another pair of clotheslines. Axel comes in with elbows, but Rebel goes low with a knee and an elbow drop for a two count. Double back elbow from Rock and Rebel and Myers. Rebel with a clothesline and a leg drop for an arrogant two count, followed by a swinging neckbreaker for a near fall. Hacks working over Axel with left hands and boots. Head slam into a turnbuckle and elbows across the face. Rock and Rebel's back in with chops, but charges into multiple big boots in the corner, oh, no. allowing Axel to come off the second rope with a flying clothesline. Ian hits a bridging backdrop suplex, misses a clothesline, allowing Rebel to come back with a clothesline of his own, followed by a double big boot from Hillman Myers. Did you catch uh, Axel in earlier with the dusty style elbows? Hat tosses Ian to the ropes, but telegraphs the back body drop allowing Rotten to hit a double-arm DDT. Get to the corner for the... Hot tag! Axel with multiple clotheslines on both guys, followed by a double noggin knocker that sends Rebel to the floor. Axel hits an atomic drop on Myers, followed by a top-rope bulldog from Ian, for the pin, and, and the win. Post-match, Rock and Rebel shoves Hat as they start to argue over what happened. Before they hug... But then Rebel clotheslines and elbow drops Myers. And the two men just start brawling out to the floor and to the back. The patented brawl to back. I will say, maybe the most wrestling match of the last, of the whole last ECW show we watched. Pretty much. They were, uh, it was a, looked like a wrestling match. But then it had this weak-ass little post-match. Brawl to back, yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the clothesline that Rebel threw was... Face turn for Hack Meyer. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's funny that, like, yeah, uh, ECW, it's like they're scared to let anything still. So it's, there's always, like, a 
brawl to back. It's like think of it as like each match is like the middle of a sandwich, and then but the whole show's a Dagwood, and it's just bread. The bread is just people <laughs> brawling to the back or like post match afterbirth. We go to our second match: Chad Austin versus Mikey Whipwreck. <sighs> For the ECW Television Championship. One fall, 30 minutes. You guys think we're going to get there? Perhaps. Draw, maybe? I just do. <laughs> Chad takes the mic and introduces Jason, the sexiest man on earth, as his new manager. One thing Chad should never do, touch a mic. Dude has no charisma, no personality. He's nothing. got a cool jacket. He does have a cool jacket. I'll give him that much. But his then last he has Austin. Boring as fuck wrestling clothes on underneath that. Yeah, it's like generic wrestler startup kit with a cool jacket. Yeah, he loves his long young lion trunks. <laughs> so Austin's running the ropes when Mikey goes for a leapfrog, only for Chad to catch him and connect with a power slam. Follows that up with a running clothesline and starts to work with Rex's arm. Mikey reverses to work a wrist lock when Austin leaps up to the top rope to flip himself back into control to try for a hip toss. Only for Whipwreck to reverse and hit a drop kick to send Chad out to the floor. There's some offense. I mean, yeah, I, I, uh, I made a sound when I watched it. <laughs> Jason and Austin have a meeting of the minds before rolling back in, where Mikey avoids a charging Chad into the corner, which sends Austin flying back out to the floor. There's a name for him, Charging Chad. Mm. See? Whipwreck follows out, stalking him around the ring only for them to roll back in, allowing Chad to take control with a brain buster. Wait until they have a dog collar match and we get a hanging Chad. That's a joke for all you folks out there. <laughs> that is so mad. Terrible. <laughs> that was from an episode of SNL no one will ever rewatch. <laughs> What's the last time you heard hanging Chad? Come on. How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> okay. that's, that's Ted Mosby's Halloween costume. Austin telegraphs the back body drop, allowing Mikey to hit a sunset flip for a two count. Starts to work the arm of Austin, followed by a back body drop that Chad over rotates on, so he hits head first. Ouch. It was a dirty looking. Yeah. Austin comes back with a power bomb, goes for the cover, but lets whip wreck up before going for another power bomb, only for Mikey to reverse into a hurricanrana for a near fall. Look at this. Mikey. Put in some work the last three weeks. Running clothesline and a leg drop for a two count from Whipwreck. But Chad tosses Mikey to the floor, where Jason hits a roundhouse kick to the head on him, followed by whacking him with a steel chair. Back in the ring, Austin with a body slam and heads up top, coming off with a double axe handle, only for Whipwreck to catch him with a shot to the gut, following with a rolling neckbreaker for a two count. I mean, just like the these two guys... I mean, Mikey's a small guy. He's pretty good at, at selling, but Chad with that beer gut, some of his selling here. I mean, I'm loving this match every second of it. <laughs> After a reversed Irish whip, Chad tries for a hurricanrana, but Mikey power bombs him down, only for <sighs> Jason to break up the pin. Ooh. Whipwreck goes up top, coming off with a crossbody for the pin, and no, Austin kicks out. Mikey is tossed out to the floor again, where Jason front suplexes Whipwreck onto the timekeeper's table. Yeah, the real, real pancake. This fucking Jason's using that uh, big old frame of his to uh, actually get into a match now. 
Chad drags Mikey into the ring to hit a slingshot front suplex before coming off the top with a leg drop for the pin and, and the, the win. win. And this is me crying. <laughs> and new. I, it hurt so bad. Record scratch. What? <sighs> Chad is handed the belt and Austin grabs the mic and tells the crowd and the ref that he had to use brass knuckles to win the match. So the ref disqualifies Chad Austin and Mikey Whipwreck is still your television champion. I mean, huh? I, you know how last I was like, they're booking Mikey so well. If he, if he just could have pulled it out and won, how much better would have that been than this guy being like, you know what? I kind of feel bad because Mikey did a pretty good job here, but I hit him in the head with some brass knuckles. Yeah. Did you? I didn't see that. I'm confused. Did you see a foreign one. object? There was no foreign object ever What used. was that? No. This but is I, not a big arena. No, but I remember him that saying... That guy is pissing himself over here. Something with the mic nearby about the fans cheering for him, so he's got to do this, and then, yeah, so made up an excuse. The story is that Jason is after the television title. But he won't And have he's a using all of his guys in a stable to go after it. And so instead of Austin winning it, he's like, Jason needs to win it. And that's why it's convoluted as it's fuck. It's convoluted. And nonsensical. And makes no sense. Because this is when I this is when I texted you guys and I was like, this is the dumbest dusty <laughs> finish. Yeah. I think I've ever seen. And what's a bummer? I think this the, is a finish that's too dumb for Dusty to try. <laughs> the biggest bummer is that the match was awesome as fuck. Uh-huh. It was fucking great. I I was so into it. I love everything about it, except for like, of course, Chad winning is an upset. Except for, except for when Chad Austin is on the mic, this match is good. Yeah, I think it's great, and it's just, but it's like there's so many other ways for Mikey to not lose the title, and this is. The one that makes the least amount of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So post-match, Austin tosses the ref out of the ring while Jason vertical suplexes and pile drives Mikey onto the TV title. Hmm. I was like, they don't, they want the, did they want the fans to see a title change? And, but they don't? I don't, I just don't get it. It it doesn't make any sense. It'd make more sense if Chad won it with a foreign object that everybody saw puts it away, and then Mikey gets it at the next show. Uh, Clean. Uh, he did the leg back. drop, and he had his nuts in his pocket there, so <laughs> oh there we God. go. It would have made more sense for him back to pocket. actually <laughs> use the foreign object and then to have gotten caught. Yeah, or even just win and Mikey wins on the rematch. Because oh, everybody knows you can put over Mikey Whip and make, yeah, you're a cheater, they, you're they, a they cheater. Wanted the belt, I mean, they wanted to keep the belt on Mikey. Yeah, I mean, I wanted it too. Chad, Chad, Chad. Put down the mic. Put on the we'll jacket. Polly's idea. Away. This might be Polly's worst idea. <laughs> yeah, it <might> be. <laughs> maybe it's gonna. Maybe it's all gonna make sense on the next show. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. But we will see Mikey Whipwreck with the title on the Heat next show. I'm sure of it. Goes to. I don't know. Cold Storm. Something. Cold Storm. Heat wave. More like. Uh, Heat what? Title change? Question mark. Yeah. I don't know. We go to our third match. Steve Richards with Angel versus Tommy Dreamer. And yes, Steve Richards is Stevie Richards. 
most famous for being in the BWO. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> he's the the. Um, he was the leader of Right to Censor at one point. Mm-hmm. Stephen Richards. He's uh, the Shawn Michaels of the BWO. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's he's all want to be Shawn Michaels, right? <laughs> pretty much. That's Stevie Richards' vibe. He's not the worst at it, but he's not Shawn Michaels. No. But also, the last time we saw Angel was at Ultra Clash 93, episode 101. And she's the one who came down at one point and like got her top ripped off and yes. oh got, yeah she's I'm making sure i was thinking of the same were, like, trying no, to figure she out she wasn't the one that got her top ripped off she was the one that won the intergender battle royal okay she just sat on the top rope the entire time oh yeah we were talking about how smart she was yeah That's and we were like right. trying to figure out where all these girls came from so the crowd starts chanting something towards angel i couldn't yeah. quite figure it's out it's probably it was. not very nice but even if i did i probably wouldn't repeat it Mm. So Steve goes out to scald the fans, all with Dreamer getting a good laugh in the ring. What a baby face. <laughs> Richards takes control with several right hands, goes for mounted punches, only for Tommy to shove him off and then kick him in the nuts before delivering a crossbody for a two count. Dreamer keeps up the attack, choking Steve across the ropes, a vertical suplex, followed by a hip toss, snapmare, but then misses an elbow drop. Tommy starts working the arm and goes for a back body drop. But Richards counters with a sunset flip, only for Dreamer to sit down on the shoulders for a near fall. Of the sit down and pulls up the legs. <laughs> a really bad looking back elbow sends Steve falling out to the floor. Ooh, pure slop. Where Tommy is whipped into the guardrail, but then catches Richards for a hot shot onto the steel. Back in the ring, swinging neckbreaker by Dreamer, follows with chops before charging into a thrust kick. By Steve. Richards keeps it going within an atomic drop, another thrust kick, and a drop kick before choking Tommy with the ropes, which Angel gets involved as well. I mean, you know, who would she be if she did? Dreamer gets a big boot up on a charging Steve before delivering a belly to belly and a leg drop for a two count. Richards is tossed to the ropes, and both men go for a clothesline for a double KO. I miss just a standing leg drop. When was the last time you saw a standing leg drop in a match? There's somebody <laughs> that does it right now. I mean, it sounds like something the uh, Velveteen Dream would have done, but, you know, I don't think his career's coming back. Not anytime soon. Once they're back to their feet, Tommy hits a body slam and goes for a running splash, only for Steve to move out of the way. Richards heads up top, and he comes off with a fist drop. Goes for a second one, but Dreamer is up, catching Steve in a sleeper. For the win. The Dreamweaver. So good. And anytime somebody says Dreamweaver, that song goes immediately into your head. Post-match, Tommy takes the mic, telling the crowd they can have Richards, before tossing him out of the ring. He then continues on by cutting a promo about people wanting to see the future of pro wrestling. He wants the champ, calling Shane Douglas a piece of Pittsburgh shit. Shane then comes down the aisle with Mr. Hughes holding him back. The Roughnecks reminding Douglas that he has a match later. So Shane tells Hughes to take care of Dreamer. Okay, I want to say something. I love that Steve Richards basically said what he was going to do. Like He was like, oh no, I'm doing another one. Tommy knew he was coming back down. It's like, it's just, you can't. That's how wrestling works. The heel gets boastful. And basically telegraphs what he's going to do. 
good guy catches him and wins, and like I'm a few matches into the show, and I'm like, God damn, this is a good show. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a reason Heat Wave's like the Starcade or WrestleMania of uh, uh, ECW. It's like, oh, people are like, oh, well, you know, you can watch most Heat Waves. So it takes us to our fourth match. Tommy Dreamer versus Mr. Hughes. Dreamer goes right after Hughes, but the roughneck's too strong and ends up charging into a big boot. Tommy keeps looking to go after Shane on the outside, so Hughes just keeps beating him senseless. Dreamer comes off the ropes with a crossbody, but the roughneck catches him and hits a backbreaker. I mean, he's gonna, he's, Mr. Hughes is gonna catch you. Multiple low blows by Tommy evens the odds, and he goes for a horrible-looking Inseguri before hitting a hip toss. Try for a vertical suplex, but Hughes blocks and sends Dreamer to the ropes, only for Tommy to duck a clothesline and lock the Dreamweaver on. The Roughneck fights his way out, sending Dreamer running the ropes, where Douglas hits him in the back with a chair. So Tommy ends up stumbling into a side slam from Mr. Hughes for the pin and, and the win. win. I mean, Tommy. You gotta nail your enziguri because you know that Mr. Hughes isn't gonna sell your hip tosses for shit, <laughs> buddy. Actually, I thought Hughes <sighs> sold those hip tosses really well. He actually got some air. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I mean, but I guess he was making up for that enziguri. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Hughes is fresh tonight, right now, too, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of, kind of blurry from the last show where Mr. Hughes was all over the place. We haven't seen him yet. Post match, Shane takes the mic and congratulates his associate. And then he calls Angel into the ring, who is there. Angel and Richards are now just leaving ringside. So, like, they sat out there the entire <laughs> like, time. Yeah, well, check out, let's check it out. Take a breather. Angel climbs into the ring, and Douglas asks her to be in his corner versus Sabu later in the evening. Because it will even the odds as 911 and Paul E. Will be in the other corner. It will even the odds. Angel's gonna even odds between nine one one. Well, she's not. Oh, there Mr. Hughes. Paul E. Because Mr. Yeah. Hughes. Yeah, because Mr. Hughes. Sorry, sorry. I was like, yeah, oh yeah, I forgot about show, Mr. Hughes. Paul E. Couldn't beat a woman, so. I mean, Angel's gonna take him down. We've yet to see. You've seen that. Huh? <laughs> yeah, he's got a telephone. Shane continues on by saying Flair, Hogan, and not even Bret Hart is the future of pro wrestling. It's the franchise. Shane's uh, been talking that game for a while. I mean, of course, why wouldn't you? No one's watching ECW at this point in time. Talk as much as you want. We then go to our fifth match. The Pitbulls of Pitbull 1 and Pitbull 2 with Jason versus Tasmaniac and a mystery partner. I love um, introduction to Pitbull number 2 in the ring. Let's see what this guy can do. I know. As Taz gets to ringside, he sends a cameraman into the guardrails, who then tumbles back into him, so he kicks him twice. (laughs) Someone had heat with Tasmaniac. (laughs) And Todd Gordon is in the ring, saying that Tasmaniac's partner had transportation problems, so they are going to postpone this match. Is Hawk supposed to be his original partner? Actually, I think it's uh, (laughs) a different Islander. Oh, okay. (laughs) But the Pitbulls have other ideas as they attack Taz immediately with their dog collars and multiple double-team moves. Mr. Hughes is all of a sudden in the aisle beating up somebody. And then Hack Myers comes out and the roughneck goes to town on him. 
The crowd starts chanting for 911. Oh, after they say shit bowls? Sorry, it's really funny to say shit bowls. When Chad, Austin, and Rockin' Rebel have joined Hughes in beating up people around ringside. What is even going on here already? The Pitbulls are continuing the beatdown in the ring as number two hits a top rope elbow drop. When 911 starts walking to the ring, the crowd goes wild. Where he starts trading right hands with Mr. Hughes before grabbing Austin and Rebel for a double choke slam. But the roughneck hits 911 in the back with a chair at least a dozen times. The Tasmaniac is still getting worked over in the ring when Sabu hits ringside with a chair, clearing everybody out. Sabu then jumps in the ring and the ref calls for the bell. So I guess Taz has a partner. <laughs> the Pitbulls reverse an Irish whip from both maniacs to send them crashing into each other, but they just turn and start beating on the dogs instead of each other. Taz hits a belly-to-belly suplex of number two over the ropes to the floor. I mean, come on. Followed by Sabu leaping over the ropes to hit him with a hurricanrana on the concrete. The Tasmaniac then hits a Tazplex on number one in the ring for the pin and, and the win. win. Okay. I mean, Sabu and Taz does sound like a fun tag team. So you it got does. like the brawler guy and then the guy that's just going to... He'll he'll come out of frame out of nowhere. This so. Sabu was not the mystery partner. That's what I was. Gonna yeah, ask. he definitely was not. Who's the island like Snuka or okay uh, okay? Because I think they have a this match happens again in a few shows. Also, I know you're a Tasmaniac in real life. Uh, I don't know how many times he comes out to this, but Taz comes out to the Nirvana song "Breed," which is like a. Deeper cut, not a single, and it's such a good riff where I was like, holy shit, like, this is a pretty, maybe one of the coolest, like, licensed music songs we've uh, seen used, because it's just a, a nasty riff. Really cool. I was like, I was shitting myself. I was like, what? Basically, once he kind of switches gimmicks from the Islander gimmick to yeah. more of the human suplex machine, he basically gets his his music that he always had. I don't even... It's basically just a... Like instrumental, oh, okay, like, dirge of some sort. Yeah, yeah. With but the like song yeah. selection that's been in ECW all this time. I'm surprised they didn't come out to like Flashdance Maniac or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they've been doing some grunge stuff, but like Breed, I was like, oh, this is such a good nasty riff to come out to, <laughs> and yeah, such a good song. So we go to our sixth match: the Sandman with Woman versus Iron Man Tommy Cairo with Peaches. In a dueling Singapore cane match. Oh my gosh. No point in putting them on a pole this time because they just fall off. Mm-hmm. Sandman starts swinging away as Tommy gets close to ringside, but it settles down long enough for the wrestler announcements. Sandman then helps Woman down to the floor and begins to stalk Peaches around ringside for a moment. Tommy Cairo, look at those trapezius muscles. He's looking like a, looking like a wrestler. Must have heard me last week. Tommy gets in between them to force Sandman to retreat. Every time Sandman then tries to get back into the ring, Cairo just swings at him with his cane. Also, the skinny jeans in 94. Pretty wild, Tommy. Yeah, they were they were grunge-ish. Finally, back in the ring, Iron Man's laying it in with the cane to send Sandman right back out to the floor. Sandman gets in once again, but again, Tommy with repeated cane shots to the midsection... But again, Sandman retreats. 
Cairo then comes out to the floor, only to continue to have the advantage with more cane shots. Once they both make their way into the ring, the two men trade shots, which ends up busting open the Sandman from the forehead and the arm. Yeah. These arm shots were like crazy. Like, oh, just hit me in the shoulder. It'll heal better than my skull. Tommy swinging like a true Iron Man. Every time Sandman gets hit a few times, he retreats back out to the floor, but Tommy just continues to beat on him everywhere they go. Sandman rolls into the ring while Cairo comes off the top rope with a somersault splash. But Sandman moves and takes control of the match with several cane shots, which bust Tommy open. They start trading shots when they hit each other at the same time across the head for a double KO. I know, I was like, how much of this did they actually plan? Because the double KO spot, pretty good. Peaches and Woman both climb in the ring, with Miss Peaches grabbing a cane, stalking after Woman. Get her! She rears back to swing when she hits the ref, knocking him down. Ref boom. Now both men are up, with Sandman tossing Peaches down to the mat, while Cairo is cornering Woman. Sandman turns and canes Tommy across the head multiple times, making the cover for the pin and, and the, the win. win. And... Who's the heel? ECW is evil. They're both these men are about to like uh, beat each other's girlfriends. <laughs> One of them being the ex-wife. So evil. Post-match, Sandman takes the mic and asks Cairo, Who has won this war? I guess you didn't pay your bill. And <laughs> did he really say that? Come full circle. Of course, you know, Sandman with the cigarette. That woman lights up and they, they do the... They cross their swords, woman and uh, Sandman. With, with Singapore canes. The Singapore canes, yeah. Woman doesn't have a sword. This is hardcore. We then go to our seventh match. Sabu with 911 and Paul E. Dangerously versus Shane Douglas with Mr. Hughes and Angel for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. Battle for the future. Sabu runs out of the ring. Breaking part of the entrance as he comes he out. He crashes through the wall like the Kool-Aid man. So 911 and Paul Lee have to run down to controlling from going homicidal on anybody at ringside. He went suicidal already. <laughs> <laughs> Sabu keeps diving at Douglas to start, but Shane continually moves out of the way, finally taking control of the match with right hands in and outside of the ring. Yeah, it is funny though, like that so we already saw Sabu. It's like, oh well he should be saved for the last match, but I guess Snooker was not around or whatever. Back inside, Douglas hits a top rope double axe handle for a two count. The two men trade waist locks until Sabu counters into a rolling pin for a near fall. I love that this touch of he jumps off the top and does a double axe handle on Sabu in the middle of the ring for the two count or whatever. But after he does the double axe handle, he yells, I am the future. After doing a double axe handle, <laughs> it's not like he did some like air sabu and then yelled, I am the future, air sabu off of a chair into the corner, or like, you know, a, put him through a table, yells, I am the future. You know, the, the move most famous from Randy Savage, but nobody didn't do it. If I ever get into wrestling, I'm totally stealing that entire thing. Yeah, I am the future. So good. Doing, a du- doing the double axe handle and then yelling. It's I am such the a future. gimmick to do like like standing leg drops, like whips, clotheslines, like reverse chin locks, double axe handles and then call yourself the future. Such a good gimmick. 
would love to see it. Yeah. Maybe work in a, a big boot or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, kind of what... That'll nail it down. What the dream did, but he didn't have to do the I Am The Future thing because he was, like, <laughs> so cool. Shane's back in control after a stalling vertical suplex before hitting a clothesline for a two-count, following that up with a backbreaker and locking on a camel clutch. Douglas tries for another clothesline, but Sabu ducks and connects with a sit-out powerbomb for a near fall. Yeah, then you, that's when you say, I am the future. Shane, I am the future while holding a reverse chin lock for five minutes. Shane stumbles out to the floor with Sabu following out, hitting Douglas over the head with a chair before sitting Shane down on that chair and crawling back into the ring to hit a tope suicida. Back in the ring, Sabu continues with more chair shots before trying for air Sabu, but Shane just moves out of the way. Douglas hits an atomic drop onto the chair, followed by a body slam, a slingshot splash, and a pile driver for a two count. Uh, I love that the pile driver is like right to the hard cam. It's a, a nice touch. Sabu comes back with a springboard heel kick, but then misses a 450 splash leaping over the top rope from the apron, which allows Shane to roll up Sabu for a near fall. Sabu then leaps up to try for a hurricanrana, but Douglas just throws it down with a powerbomb followed by a top rope elbow drop for a two count. Shane turns Sabu over into a half crab before transitioning into an STF which brings 911 and Hughes up on the apron where they start arguing. Sabu escapes while this is happening with a low blow before coming off the top with a spinning heel kick to send Douglas out to the floor. I have to point this out. Joey Styles says that the STF was made popular in the U.S. by Eric Watts. Yes. He says that, and I wrote that down, yep. and I wrote LOL Shane. Yep. Because I was just like, number one, I'm upset about this. Can't imagine how Shane feels. I yeah. know he's going to catch it. I he heard doesn't. the name Eric Watts, and I had to rewind because oh. I'm like, why the fuck are they talking about Eric Watts How does Joe Styles know who Eric Watts is? Nobody knows who Eric Watts is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> made, but, yeah, famous made famous by, by Eric Watts. In huh? the U.S. After Shane Douglas is like... Even called out Onita, I think, on the microphone before. <laughs> Shane Douglas is stealing Eric Watt moves. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's what's happening. Yeah. That's the future right there. It does feel like <laughs> Shane Douglas is a little bit blown up, you know what I mean? In, like, towards the end of this match. I guess he is working with Sabu. Shane Douglas normally doesn't have to work this fast, but he's obviously twice the wrestler that Sabu is as far as being an actual wrestler and mm-hmm. not a stuntman. Sabu falls out to the floor with a somersault senton from the apron. Sabu has a chair again. He's wailing away on Shane before sending him into the crowd where they start brawling until Douglas drops Sabu with a not-so-rubber band slam across the guardrail. Sabu rallies back by dropping Shane on the guardrail crotch first while 911 sets up a table, followed by the lights going off in the arena. Snook is here! Yeah, Sandman was like, you forgot to pay your bills. (laughs) (laughs) So when the lights come back on, the two men are in the ring, where Douglas hits a cutter, while dangerously tells Sabu to show the people who the future of pro wrestling is. Shane charges into a corner with a splash, only for Sabu to move, sending Douglas over the ropes and to the floor. Sabu then sets Shane up against the table, which is kind of just like leaning against the guardrail. Yeah. 
He then climbs up to the apron to go for a springboard moonsault. Come on, dude. <laughs> but Douglas moves out of the way, so Sabu just bounces off the table. And Ugh. I swear this is where I heard the first Joey Styles. Oh my god! <laughs> and it's a good reason to say it. <laughs> Paul E and 911 are checking on Sabu with dangerously saying Sabu is injured. It's gross. Like it's not a it's not pretty. The ref makes the count and calls for the bell, allowing Shane to win by count out. Hmm. I have no clue if that's actually the original ending I assume or if he actually was injured. Yeah, I feel like you could have put it on Sabu here, but Shane Douglas is so good. I mean, he's obviously the best person in the company, and I just I mean, after find it their, hard to believe that he didn't have success in other places. After their passing guy... the championship from person to person, old legend to old legend to old legend, I think it's good to let Shane have it for quite some time. A little bit longer. Oh, yeah, for sure. And plus, he's, he's great. He's good on the mic. He's mm-hmm. great in the ring. He works like somebody that should be working the like US or TV title in WCW right now. He should be having matches with Orndorff and Austin and like I feel like that's this is where he should be. But here he's you know moving out of the way so Sabu can give himself brain damage. Post match Paul E jumps in the ring, slamming his phone across the head of Mr. Hughes from behind. But Hughes snowsells it and begins to beat down dangerously. So 911 then jumps in the ring and proceeds to choke slam everyone, including the weird haired ref. <laughs> oh, old ref undercut. undercut. Angel then comes into the ring, hitting 911 from behind with a wooden chair. I mean, Angel, you know where you're at. You're an ECW. Mm-hmm. They love to see women get hurt. Mm-hmm. Which he no sells before choke slamming Angel. Yeesh. The crowd starts chanting for 911 as Shane grabs Angel from the ring. It's wild. A star is born. <laughs> it's an Angel Falls. <laughs> <laughs> so we go to our eighth match. The Funk Brothers of Terry and Dory Jr. versus the public enemy of Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge in a no-rope barbed wire match. FMW style. They even calling out FMW this early. This is in Philly. We trade tapes. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody had a uh, like a movie rental shop that was just nothing but Japanese tapes like <laughs> around the corner from there. This it was like the a porn- section. Yeah, it's like nothing but uh, like wrestling tapes and pornography and that's all they have. <laughs> and if you know them, you can get some It was in the shed been. in the parking lot of the ECW <laughs> arena. Yeah, yeah. What's his name? Fucking Jeff Bezos? No. Uh, I was going to say it's uh, been owned by the new breed. <laughs> That's their side hustle. Axel and Ian. Axel and Ian, yeah. Bad breed. Bad breed, not the new breed. Yeah. That's the brood, though. New breed. New, at one point. new breed is uh, 2001 WCW. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. oh yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, the brood is, uh, I mean. Edge Christian and Gangrel. The Gangrel entrance. Like when they were just like the lackeys, maybe one of the best entrances mm-hmm. ever. Gangrel, maybe one of the ugliest men to ever wrestle. True. Perfect for a vampire. Perfect for Luna. Oh yeah, Luna's <laughs> Luna's uh, more Special. attractive. Special. I love Luna. So Public Enemy throws a pair of chairs into the ring as they walk down to the ring before running away and head up towards the Eagles' nest. And the Funk Brothers come out. 
fully covered, of course, because it's a barbed wire match. They got their long t-shirts on and stuff. Public Enemy, always covered up anyway with their big shorts and shirts. Public Enemy standing high above the crowd when the funk start throwing chairs up at them. Terry goes back to the ring and takes a mic, telling the public enemy that they were the ones that wanted the barbed wire, so they need to get their ass down here. Yeah, he calls them assholes, and then we get something from Philadelphia. A chant from all the, from everybody, young and old, of assholes. (laughs) Who doesn't want to be in a crowd where you get to chant assholes? You can feel the brotherly love. (laughs) Eventually, public enemy makes their way back to the ring, and it is mostly brawling with some body slams thrown in before the funk send public enemy into each other. Rock is tossed to the ropes, but he slides under the barbed wire and the brawling heads out to the floor with Terry using a chair on public enemy. Terry and Rocco are back in the ring where Rock tangles Funk's head up in the wire before attempting a body guillotine only for Terry to move in time. Rocco is stuck in the wire but they flip him out to the floor with the barbed wire ripping Rock's shirt. Yeah, while well, he's all he's all twisted up, everybody's chanting, we want blood. Somebody's probably already bleeding. Yeah. Everyone's back out on the floor where Rocco continues to get punished by Terry, scraping his head across the wire, while Dory is using a cowboy boot on both members of Public Enemy. Is it his own boot, or did he bring it with him? <laughs> it's his own third boot. <laughs> Terry grabs a wooden chair and smashes it across the head of Grunge before returning to Rock to send him into the crowd. Wooden chair, come on. Johnny's busted open as he and Terry make their way back into the ring, where Grunge is choking Terry across the barbed wire, getting him all tangled up in it. Dory and Rocco make their way back into the ring as they are busted open as well now, when Rock hits a not-so-rubber band slam across the barbed wire on Dory. Yeah, I mean... They're, they're doing it for sure. Like, you know, they're covered, but barbed wire, it's not, it's, it's, it's probably, they, I, I assume when they do a barbed wire match, they're like, well, we need the, like the tiny barbs. Maybe we'll cut the ends off of them, but it's still gonna cut you. Everybody's just brawling. When Dory hits a cowboy boot shot on Grunge to knock him off Terry, both members of Public Enemy are tangled up in the wire with the Funks delivering right hands, yeah, funk cowboy boot shots, and stomps. Dory hits a butterfly suplex on Rocco, while Terry hits a pile driver on Johnny. They then head to the floor and into the crowd to continue brawling, while Terry hits another pile driver on Grunge in the ring. And this is where it's about to get perfect. Yeah. Terry then yells to the crowd to throw chairs into the ring, and a barrage of steel begins to fly <laughs> through the air onto the canvas. I mean, I don't. Is this the like famous no. gif i was like this doesn't i was like okay this doesn't look exactly like it it's still a lot of chairs but there is one that is even more chairs and obviously this inspired if this is the first time where they're like terry funks just and it's really scary man yeah i kept waiting for uh, a Somebody. chair to come and just crack him upside the head as he was standing in there yeah and then you know if everybody's like <laughs> ducking them because they have to get into the ring for the finish funk then hits a pile driver of Johnny onto those chairs. Pile of chairs, man. The ring announcer has to tell the crowd to quit throwing chairs or the match will be stopped. And the boos start coming in. <laughs> Terry heads out into the crowd to help his brother where they're in the parking lot 
while Johnny is still trying to recover from the three pile drivers. Okay. And the ref doesn't even just like yell it out. They get on the microphone and they're like, hey guys, you have to stop. Because yep. it seems like something that maybe Terry Funk was like, hey, like we're going to do this. And maybe he tells like hat guy or something. And he's like, hey, like, you know, I'm going to call for chairs. You throw one. Maybe tell a couple other people. Like, you know, just because I would never, I would be mortified of throwing a chair in a ring at a live event. But we're in uh we're in Philadelphia. It's ECW for a reason. I mean, it's definitely better than the last time that Funk asked for people to throw in chairs, and like one made it to the ring, and the others kind of bounced off the ropes and he fell probably back outside. Hit, yeah, probably hit a, a <laughs> fan in the head. Everybody has made it back into the ring, where Dory uses a trash can across the head of Rocco multiple times, and then hits the ref as well. Why not? Ref bump. Why not? Yep. Johnny is finally recovered, but is knocked back down, and then Public Enemy is hit with several chair shots from Dory. Grunge finds some wire cutters, using those on Dory to knock him down. Public Enemy is now in control, using the trash can across the back of Terry before cutting the barbed wire and wrapping it around the head of Terry. That's some fucked up shit right there. <laughs> More like, chairs. Just be careful around my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see my daughters again. <laughs> More chair shots on both Funk Brothers, including one with a trash can on Terry. When Public Enemy then makes the cover for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Post-match, Dory keeps delivering chair shots on Public Enemy while Terry uses the trash can and barbed wire around him to attack them. Chairs start flying in from the crowd once again as the funk uses them to cover public enemy. Rest in chairs. (laughs) Joey Styles is saying his goodbyes as Terry is trying to get the barbed wire off of his head. I mean, Terry... All while still throwing chairs on top of public enemy. Yeah, he like starts the barbed wire, throws a chair, and is like, oh yeah, the barbed wire. Yeah, Terry looks like one of those... I don't know, creatures from a horror movie that's been in a science, you know, scientist lab or something yeah. like that, where or like he's, a, you know, yeah, or like yeah, all mangled up together, but still trying to a failed Cenobite from like <laughs> Hellraiser Eight, but like the yeah, he's he's just a horror movie yeah. of at Jews one point right? he's going to throw a chair onto the pile and then he turns around like he's going to throw it into the audience because he got hit by a chair that was being thrown in and <laughs> yeah realizes realizes that his hand gets caught on the barbed wire. <laughs> Rock finally gets kind of uncovered from the chairs and he tries to run away but he ends up getting attached to the barbed wire <laughs> and getting guys. stuck my god terry is out on the outside and he's like over with some fans and he's handed them the wire cutters to have <laughs> I don't know yeah, why. He's like, he starts walking oh. in the back all tied up and he's like fuck it man help yeah. <laughs> who's what, what's more what's cooler than helping terry funk get uncut from barbed wire having like, his brother a... come over and take him away from you saying <laughs> yeah that's a fucking do it that's a really cool memory it's like oh i one time i untangled Terry. they don't funk. get it completely off before no. the funks end up heading to the back but the crowd is chanting ecw ecw so good so i ask you gentlemen what are your overall thoughts of heat wave 94 that says it all right there. I mean, yeah, it's a. <laughs> I really like this show. It has some solid actual wrestling on it. The trash is pretty decent, and uh, 
Better than Hostel City? Oh, fuck yeah. For sure. Better than Hostel City. But the first half of it, I was just really impressed with just the wrestling. I guess most of the show, I was just impressed that we got some actual wrestling. So I feel like the last show, we didn't really get any wrestling. I don't know about you guys, Mm -mm. but I really like wrestling. I like the barbed wire stuff. I'm not like a deathmatch guy, but I like it when Terry Funk's involved. I like when Cactus Jack is involved, when when it's not light tubes and like plate glass and stuff but i don't want a whole show of that because it kind of takes away from it plus i want to see a double axe handle and hey, it's a hip toss and a you it's know the future of wrestling yeah i do i agree i agree that it that at this point it is the future of wrestling that maybe we should get back to it double, ha- double axe handles for everyone <laughs> you get a double axe handle. <laughs> Um, I need the young bucks to start spamming double axe handles. God damn it! <laughs> double axe handle super party or whatever. Super <laughs> yeah. double axe handle party. Yeah. Super axe party. <laughs> um, yeah, much like Michael said, this one was a major step up from the whatever the hell Hostile City was. Hostile City left me more angry that I had wasted time watching a show that should have just been a match, whereas this one had way more good than bad and some memorable moments in it. Yeah, I, and what's crazy is this I show it. is better, but this show it's kind of the same doesn't as... have Cactus Jack on it. It's just it's like oh, we, we just got we just it's just there's more more wrestling here. My yeah. biggest uh, disappointment, honestly, I won't do it. I'll hold off. I'm just looking at the card, I got excited. <laughs> so I, I wrote this after watching it. I was like, if we were at this show in the moment, I would have got arrested. We would have walked out thinking we just saw one of the most amazing shows ever. Easily. I would have been so pumped up after seeing this show live. There's amazing mm-hmm. like WCW and WWF shows that I would have that I would be like, oh yeah. Like that's a better show. This has a classic match on it. But there is no way I would have had more fun there than I would have had at Heatwave ninety four with all these heathens drinking Budweiser throwing chairs. Yeah. Like, there's a smaller amount of people that are more into the thing, closer together. Yeah. I imagine that the air was electric in this building oh, yeah. tonight. When you're one of 850 people making an impact on a show as opposed to one of 10,000, yeah. Yeah, and even, like, at this point, you don't know that ECW is going to go on to be this this thing. Like, people say, okay, WWF, WCW, ECW. ECW never reached those highs, but... If people know three wrestling promotions, those are the three they know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looking back at this show with a more technical eye, though, now, yeah, there is definitely some messiness involved in quite a few of the matches. Mm-hmm. But I'm still very pumped at where we're headed. This show fucking low-key rules. Yeah, it's, it like, was... it's good. I would suggest watching this just because it's not that long. And even the... Dumb stuff, nothing really drags quite like the last show. I mean, I, I think the worst match is probably Sandman and Kyron. Yeah, yeah, just because we've seen it so many times. I mean, yeah, it's like the third Kane match that we've seen between the two guys. And it's I will like, say this one... We need we need to end this feud. And I, I believe this is the, the end of that feud. So. Yeah, considering that it's the... Since it's the dueling Kanes thing, it does have... It's a little, a little bit more tension, and it's not as long. So it's like, well, at least they're chasing each other with the cane, and they actually 
you know, get some juice and they hit each other. So it's like, if this is what you finally wanted to see was these two guys hit each other with canes, well, at least it fucking finally happened. Not necessarily my thing, but it's definitely the thing that they've been doing for the last three shows. <laughs> and now you actually get, this is your, your blow-off match. This would be your cage match or whatever in a canes match if you're going to have one. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. So what are some of your favorite best moments of the show? There's a couple. Yeah. When Sabu comes out, like, he gets a huge, like, Super for the Taz match. Like, and Mystery Guy. When Sabu comes out and the crowd loses it, and because they're also fans of Taz, who's, like, our up-and-comer, it feels like a, like a, like a payoff moment in, like, of Avengers movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> it kind of had that vibe to it where it's like, oh, we never thought we'd see these two characters on screen. It has this weird... Because I didn't expect Cebu, and it's like, of course he's in the building, but for some reason, the reaction that the crowd had to Cebu coming out with with Taz translated, even on shitty, shitty videotape, like, to me. Like, yeah. I got excited, even though, like... Do I really care? Yeah. No, but I mean, I do because everyone else cares. And I like Taz. I like Cebu, but like the energy was palpable even on this crummy videotape we watched. Yeah. So yeah, that was surprising and cool. And then Mikey getting moves off. The finish we talked about. Finish is stupid, but the match itself, my favorite match of the night. I mean, it's it's definitely up there. Yeah. Um, I'm also a little biased as the guys wearing the Mikey Whipper. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's the Tasmanian match is one of my favorites. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm, a, little, I'm should, a little biased. It should be. Yeah, it's part all, of the deal. All 50 seconds of it. Uh, I mean, Taz is pretty cool. Like I said, <laughs> that moment when Zabu comes out, like it elevates both of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it had a very... Almost the, the, the same kind of vibe as... Hogan coming out to save Savage, or when Hogan and Warrior are in the ring together and, you know, bump into each other and turn around and kind yeah. of pull back. And it's weird because it shouldn't yeah. at this point in time. No. Like, it shouldn't be that big of a deal, but it felt like it, which is crazy. That's why I'm, like, so surprised by it. Well, just thinking back about it, knowing that it was supposed to be Snuka, and it was supposed to be just a regular match. Yeah. Like, that would have been horrible. Like, it... I mean, the match I mean, people are going to be happy great. Snuka. Snuka's going to do some splashes. But Sabu coming in, 50 seconds. They already know he has a match later, too. Yeah. So that's part just of it. Just for the 50 seconds, it gives Taz just that little bit of rub of yeah. being like, I'm here I'm here to help my, my guy. Yeah, plus he was awesome on the last show, which everybody here was also at the last show, most likely. And uh, Taz also got the beat down. They put the heat on him. So, like, you know, he's he's got a little bit of simpy on him. Yeah, the uh, as as cringy as it was at times, the 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 Funk and Public Enemy match was uh, was awesome. I mean, it was way better than the last one. Yeah, and it wasn't too long either. No, it wasn't, which was nice. And not so rubber band slam across the bar line. <laughs> I know. I was like, like, Dory, you don't have to take this bump. Yeah, you look. He, you know how I made the talked about how like. When Randy Savage uh, does his little like prance walk, he looks like a toddler, but he does it knowingly. It's just like part of his style. Randy Savage, obviously, like in his peak, 
able-bodied, he still did that. That was his thing. That's just the way Dory Funk has to move around at this point in his life. <laughs> There's no style to his uh, toddler walk. He's just an old man that's had a, a few too many hearty matches. Yeah, the the best moment for me, I think, is just the vision of Terry at the end, all mangled up, wrapped in barbed wire with you know his arm kind of twisted up around his ratted hair, not sure which direction to move. And he's not... Only having one arm to throw chairs yeah, at people. Yeah, and he's not like a, a lump of like clay or sweat or blood or anything like that. He's just like still fired up. He's yeah. like, yeah. It had a very death becomes her type vibe to it where it's like <laughs> he had just fallen point. down the stairs and he's all twisted but he got back up and just kept trying to grab stuff to swing at that doesn't hurt him Terry <laughs> how about most disappointed whatever the hell they did with old, the ending of Mikey Whipwreck yeah yeah, easily, easily <laughs> the most disappointing because it didn't it could have gone any so other good. way so good my favorite match of the night mm-hmm. involved and that ending it's just like, like I'm just like what? Yeah. What? There's so many s- simple, easier ways to do that that we already talked mm-hmm. about, but there's they're just completely obvious. Yeah, the wrestling ending of finishes. that match tied with just Chad Austin's microphone abilities. Or yeah. If Jason's out there, Jason on the mic or something, and also a different finish. But I really like the show a lot, and the mm-hmm. Douglas Sabu match for being like 20 minutes didn't feel like 20 minutes. No, it didn't. And Shane Douglas should have this title forever and i know he doesn't but i we've seen a lot of shane douglas watching these ecw shows but i feel like this was the one this match was the one where i was like damn shane douglas is really good and i love him now like i always was like yeah i know who shane douglas is i like what we've seen but in this one i was like this guy's the complete package the franchise i know i need him to be working with guys that are older than or like he, he, he feels like uh, a guy that should have been in, like, the... The golden era? Yeah, in, like, the golden era of, like, the mid to late 80s wrestling. Or, or before that, like, Paul yeah, Earl. he should have been having matches, Lundorf. like, you know, sold-out matches with, like, Greg Valentine in the territory days or something, like... Tagging with old Mr. Wonderful? Oh, yeah. God, I love Mr. Wonderful. I mean, I think I mentioned it a while ago that Sandman and Cairo, I didn't like that match... It's not even... But I... It's important. A lot of it is just because they stalled just way too much. Mm -hmm. Like, just get in the ring and just start beating the shit out of each other. Yeah, like, you can do... That's that's what we want to see. There were so many dramatics at the start of it. Yeah. Yeah. And Sandman did the, like, go to the floor one too many times. You can do it three times. It's wrestling. The finish was good. Like, the double KO thing, that was good. Like, once that moment And they didn't slop it. To the end, good. Yeah. But leading... The, the other seven minutes of them just going back and forth on the outside, inside, outside. It was just like, we just want to see you guys hit each other with canes. Yeah, Sandman should like roll to the floor twice, maybe a third time, chase Peaches, get caught, put back in the ring, double KO yeah. match. Best performer of the night. It's hard. I gotta give it to Terry. It's always hard not to give I mean, it to Terry. That, that shot of him in the <laughs> in the barbed wire at the end of the show is just yeah, it barbed wired onto my brain. That's your yeah. your poster, your it, your cover box, your everything that you need to sell this show is just show Terry wrapped up in barbed wire with his arm wrapped around his head, and I want to know what the fuck happened. Yeah, that's the definitely the blown out Xerox like <laughs> thing stuck in the like 
brown clamshell that they sold this in. I love that this shows also like is uh, Matt's um, childhood play-by-play dream at the same time. <laughs> He'd be great at it. How about most surprising? I was surprised by Stevie Richards showing up. Yeah, I was too, I, yeah. I wasn't expecting, I wasn't expecting him, him anytime yet. soon. Also, that match was good. A good match in a Hillman, scene, in Hillman the middle Dreamer of a good were show. Good. Yeah. I wish Hughes would have come in and basically just beat down Dreamer. Yeah, yeah that, instead, that of, instead of adding that extra three minutes, just yeah. like add an extra one minute of him coming in. It's like that extra match didn't even feel like a match. It just felt like an afterbirth they called a match. Yeah. Anything else surprising? I mean, this show was so much better than the last one, and the last one ended with Cactus Jack and Sabu. Yeah. It's like, oh, like this show, I didn't hate the last show, but I didn't love it. I liked a public enemy match. Fucking Eric Watts was mentioned on the show for whatever reason. Yeah, honestly, honestly, most surprising. (laughs) Yeah, that would be in the short list for most surprising. Building up Shane Douglas as a wrestler of the future and at the same time saying that he gets his move set from Eric Watts. That makes (laughs) absolutely no sense. The STF made famous in the States from Eric Watts. It's like, you could just call it the STF and say that it's a famous... Something tells Moving me that Japan, maybe yeah. just say Chono. Maybe Bill was like scraping yeah. a little money on the company at the time, possibly. Even if nobody know, knows who Chono is at the time, it's still more interesting. And uh, they've still heard. And of it's him like, more oh, well, we, didn't, we have no, none of us have. Maybe if nobody's seen it, we're like, oh, well, you know, that's that's cool. But you say Eric Watts, and everyone's like, oh, the guy that got booed in every pay per view, <laughs> every time he entered the ring, even no matter who you paired him up with. The Dan Spivey of uh, of early '90s WCW making their way to the ring. It's trivia time. <laughs> what do we got this week? This week the category is what happened when. What happened when? So I will name a show. You give me the last match on that show. Five points for a correct answer. Three points if we go to multiple choice. All right. The show is Great American Bash 1990. Great American Bash 1990. Is that a, is that a buzz? I think that's a buzz. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was like the most... <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, yeah, are you thinking? I think I did. I'm like, well, I have an idea of what the math was. <laughs> I can't Shane? remember if I'm thinking of the right year or not, but I want to say it was Ric Flair versus Sting. Ric Flair versus Sting is correct. Uh, Woo! Oh, yeah, 89, yeah. Because um, I knew they were trying to put it on him. Because they did War Games in American Bash before that, but then they gave it, a, turned it into Fall Brawl, or added it to Fall Brawl, right? Correct. Yeah, because I was like 90, or you said 89. Yeah, 90, before 90. 90, okay, before all that. But yeah, that's the after. I mean, Flair had that amazing 89 and then into 90 with his, the double, the triple trilogy. That was 89. Yeah, that was 89 with Steam, or... Rules, he did, uh... Steamboat. Uh, he went from Steamboat, Steamboat to Funk. Steamboat to Funk, but then... In 89. And then, in, then into 90, he does three with Sting, right? No, he doesn't do three Oh, he doesn't do three with Sting? Okay. It's just another good match after a series, a whole year of good matches. So that's five points for Shane. Fabaruski. Is that one of the 60-minute jobbers? Or 45s? No? No, okay. it's only like a 20-minute okay, I want to say, I just have Sting this going an hour as picture well. of Sting with, like, the American flag and his makeup. Oh, yeah. 
and that was right after Warrior had won the belt, so you know, the Blade Runners were ruling the world at the time. The uh, what, Psychic Coyote or whatever. What was uh, Warrior's old name? Oh, Dingo. Dingo, yeah. <laughs> Dingo Warrior. Next week, Bash at the Beach 1994. Ooh, it's going to get sandy. It's going to be saucy. Shot and... on uh, the set of Hunter in Paradise, unfortunately. <sighs> the orange. <laughs> yeah. The red and the yellow and the orange are all coming together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are you ready to put uh, ketchup and mustard on your hot dog? Because mm-hmm. WCW is. Put ketchup and mustard on everything <laughs> for the next couple years. At least the next five or so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there'll be a lot to talk about on this one. Music from this week's show is Thunderkiss 65 by White Zombie. 555, five, five. yeah. And Public Enemy won the main event, so we're going to play their theme song, here comes the hot stepper. That was their song by Ani Kamosi? Yeah. Wow. I don't know. I, I'm sure I've not heard Here comes the hot stepper. Oh, it's like a snow guy. I'm the lyrical gangster. Okay. Yep. Nice. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast set. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, recipes... Please hit us up on our email at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. It's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. We're going to Florida. Give me some recipes. Laters.